0: Recently, I've been trending toward nymphs for catching smallies. I still like crustaceans. I still like the drys. And well, I think I'll always like that streamer game. I think that'll always be high on my list. But a large number of our listeners are trout anglers. So mm-hmm. to that, just to make it easier transition from trout to smallmouth and using nymphs, what are a few nymph patterns that you like to use and tie and why?
1: Well, um, some of the nymphs that I like to use, and some of them are sort of general. We'll go by insect type. Uh, I like to have a Helgrammite imitation, definitely a dragonfly uh, nymph stage, and when I say general, an attractor style nymph would be like an oversized Dave's Red Fox world nymph, and when I say oversized, smallmouth nymphs, usually I'm going anywhere from a size six up to as big as a size two. So I mean they're they're big nymphs, and you know the Helgramites, they can be anything from uh, uh, Harry Murray has a Helgramite that looks like just an oversized wooly bugger, except it uses ostrich hurl for the tail. That's really unique because the ostrich hair it collapses and sticks together and works like an extended body. It's totally different. The swim from, you know, traditional woolly bugger and he puts rubber legs up front for the pinchers. Um, I use um, a cut O-ring to look like pinchers. So, you know, that's, that's a go-to for me. Also, I know many of you have talked before, a Pat's rubber legs. I mean, that can look like you. You might not have big stoneflies in your rivers, but it's got rubber legs and it's a bigger meal. And I don't know. They might take it as a hellgrammite. I sort of lump those into one category. And uh, going back to the dragonfly nymph, there anywhere there's smallmouth, there's all you know. It's warmer water. There's going to be dragonflies. And there's going to be dragonfly nymphs. Now that's more of a seasonal thing. That's going to be late spring into early summer you'll find those so what i do is i'm basically trout fishing for smallmouth in a way i'm i'm doing a lot of matching the hatch or at least matching what's going on at at the time you know the present time or the season and uh, you can you can approach smallmouth that way and you don't have to you know don't get me wrong i love streamers like you were saying i love top water but there have been several days that nets have saved the day for me just because they whether i drop them underneath a big deer hair popper or i run them dead drift under an indicator dead drift them alone there's pretty much endless ways to do it um and they they've like I said, they've turned my day around many, many times. So, and and as far as giving nymphs, I will say as far it does differ from trout in that the way I usually break it down is I will dead drift a nymph in fast water, but I do the complete opposite in slow water. If it's slow slack water, you know your your nymph's not going to be tumbling. It's not going to be getting a lot of motion. So I will do everything from jigging it to twitching it, doing a slow retrieve um, to impart that that motion. So that does differ a little bit, at least for my limited knowledge of of trout. Um, I'm not a trout expert, but um, I I do stick by those two things. And In fast water, just dead drift them. It seems to get the eat. And then in slow water, actively retrieve or make some kind of make them move so that's that's pretty much how I those three flies and then those approaches is usually how I go in if I'm going to try out nymphs for smallmouth
0: so your, your dragonfly nymphs is there any particular mm-hmm. pattern or anything that works on those uh, that maybe folks would need to try
1: for the the dragonfly nymph, if you've ever seen one, a, a live uh, dragonfly nymph, they've got a really bulbous back end. The abdomen is, is really bulbous. And there's a friend of mine, or acquaintance, Josh Smotherland, Smitherland, I believe is how you say it. He's out in Texas, and he has a, uh, a dragonfly nymph pattern that he developed for the Texas Hill Country, chasing Guadalupe bass, uh, largemouth, and some of the bigger panfish. But he ties it on a jig hook, and it's got bead chain eyes to get it down, and it rides hook up, and it's got rubber legs. He, it's the abdomen done really unique, and he takes a laser dub, brings it out, makes you know a pretty, pretty bulky, almost like a rope of it. And he'll take a lighter and melt one in, and that laser dub being acrylic, it melts itself. And he'll put it out real quick and sort of twist it, and then take that and tie it off the back of the hook, and it gives him an extended body. Oh, and okay. he'll put a drop of super glue where he burnt the end, and uh, yeah, it looks just like a dragonfly now, and uh, and it works well because it's, it's you know basically weedless. It rides like a clouser. So you don't have to worry about snags and all that because usually a dragonfly net are going to be found near uh, grass lines, near some type of vegetation. So you want to, typically that's where I'll, I'll fish those at.
0: Right. Yeah, we were, and this is a little bit off subject, but we were fishing for largemouth in a lake uh, a few years mm-hmm. ago. And every time a dragonfly would come down, a bass would come out and jump out of the water at it. So I can just imagine finding a way of just kind of dabbing that 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 dry, dragonfly dry with a nymph under it, you know, kind of a little bit deeper. You probably good chance of two fish at one time there and potentially a really good one. But oh uh, yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. But I just I wanted to hit on that because so many folks think Small mouth and then right behind that is popper or small mouth and then right behind that is streamer. And that's not always been necessarily the case for me. If the water's in good shape and all that, you know, a nymph will work. It's a little easier on folks maybe that are a little newer to to the game trying to figure out where they are, uh, looking for the types of water they're going to be in and that sort of thing. A nymph with some legs, you know, some, some, uh, some rubber legs and stuff like that. Uh just as it's a little bit easier to get folks in the groove and then you might move up when you get to some different water that maybe are, are good for streamers or something, and you can go all the way up to
1: yeah, yeah. pretty
0: big stuff like we're going to talk about later. But it's um uh, it's a good slow introduction for folks that are moving from trout to smallmouth. So that's that's why I wanted to hit on that. So I I appreciate all that information because I think that's going to be helpful to our folks as they start to think about some are thinking about making that transition and some just want to broaden their skills a little bit and try something a little different because there are a lot of, especially in the South, there are a lot of folks that have some smallmouth water here and there and maybe, you know, maybe a tailwater that's fairly close, but they might drive over five smallmouth streams to get to the tailwater. You know, and yeah,
1: you know that's the thing. And I'll say, you know, I've been doing some guiding in the summer, pretty limited trips up to the Ozarks to do some smallmouth schools that we have. Uh One of the things we tell people is, you know, majority of these guys are trout anglers that want to expand. They've got, I mean, one guy literally our last stop had smallmouth in his backyard, and he said, "I've just never (laughs) chased them." And he, which he he, could only drive he would drive ten minutes to be on the White River. So I was like, well, can't okay. say that I blame you for yeah, of that. True, but, <laughs> but but you know the thing is, um, I think there's a, I think a lot of people when they think smallmouth, they think you've got muscle up and pick up a seven or an eight weight, and really that's that's not the case. And and I'm not just talking about I love stream. Creek smallmouth is what I love. That's my favorite thing is a stream smallmouth. But even in small rivers, you really don't, you know, with nymphs, with some of the streamers you use, even smallmouth typically like smaller poppers than, you know, largemouth. You, so if you've got a six weight, that's what I tell most guys. We have a lot of guys that come and use five weights. Um, yeah. But yep. a six weight, to me, you can't be a a good six weight for 95 percent of the smallmouth fishing you're going to do especially in the south so that's that's the thing that i start off telling everyone is don't think you've got to pick up an eight weight to be able to land a a smallmouth or throw you don't have to throw giant flies there is a time and place for all that
0: yes absolutely couldn't could not agree more the other day i had a uh, a young man on the boat and and had a six weight and he caught the biggest smallmouth he'd ever caught and uh, mm-hmm. he was he was like, this, is, "Are there brown trout in here?" And no, no, it, that's a smallmouth. Are you sure? You know that that feels like a maybe that's a twenty inch brown. I mean, we're having this conversations while he's fighting. I'm like, "No, dude, it's a smallmouth," <laughs> and I don't know how big it is, but I bet it ate twenty inches and it wasn't. It was it was, it was a fair fairly good smallie, but. Yeah, no, the six weight handled it perfectly fine. He was worried pretty much the whole time that we were going to lose that fish. I said, "No, we're not mm-hmm. going to lose it. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen." You know, the bigger hooks help. I think, uh, you know, you are not trying to land something with a size eighteen mid or any twenty mid or anything like that. You are you are doing it with a little bit heavier stuff. So you you know anything with a little bit of backbone. Five weights got plenty of backbone. Unless you start getting up in the 20, 23 inch range, you are going to maybe maybe you'll struggle then. I don't know. Depends on how how well you fight them, but you know, there's some 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 good fish, some good sized fish. You can get them on a five weight and a six weight to me, six weights just almost exactly right for what we have in Tennessee and probably down in North Alabama where you live as well. So no, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's go ahead and do the show introduction and, and let folks know who who we're talking to here from High Tap the World Headquarters of Southeastern Fly. This is the Southeastern Fly Cup podcast. Subscribe or follow wherever you consume podcasts. And if you find value in this episode and want to give back, drop by the Southeastern Fly Store and simply make a purchase of a hat, shirt, or a decal. So who is our guest today? He's well known in the South as an elite fly tire. He enjoys and fishes all over for smallmouth, as you just heard. He works with Jay Stockard. Fully Mills ties on a hooks, keeps his resin simple with Raid zap. Dr. Slit takes care of his surgical quality tying tools, and he ties on HMH vices. He is the owner of Panther Branch Bugs. He hails from North Alabama. Please welcome to the podcast, Brandon Bales. Brandon, thank you for stopping by.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now I don't know if you remember the first time we met, but we met at a place called uh, Ferris Creek, and yep. <laughs> we had talked, <laughs> we had talked several times online, and and uh, we may have we we probably had had I had probably fished you if you were waiting, I'd probably passed you several times and didn't know it because like I like to say we all kind of dress the same when we're on the water. Everybody's got green or or drab colors on and that sort of thing, but. Yep, that's uh, true. <laughs> Ferris Creek is a questionable place, to, to say the least. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, uh, and I think you – did you have a Jeep at one time, I think? I want to say – I him. did. I yeah, did. That's yeah. what I was thinking. The white Jeep. Yes, yes, yes. And and so I, I saw you at, Fer- at Ferris Creek, and we talked for a little bit. But just a little background on Ferris Creek. A friend of mine and I, whenever I first moved to Middle Tennessee, we went to Ferris Creek. And we <laughs> – we got up about 6 o'clock in the morning. We were there at s- between 6, 30, and 7, probably. And it was back whenever they were really barely running water out of the dam. And so we roll into the parking lot. The sun's, you know, up a little ways. It's probably July. It's probably about this time of year. Maybe maybe l- late July, August. Let's put it that way. And uh, we roll into the parking lot, and he's driving. And there's two older gentlemen that are probably in their – they look like they're in their 80s, but I would – Say they're probably in their fifties, and they were drinking beer. Like I said, it was early in the morning. It was on a Sunday morning, so I, I obviously took note of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All right, there's, there's my drinking beer there. That's that's interesting. i have not to say that I haven't done that before, but uh, I mean, I I don't know that I've been to a boat ramp to do that. So anyway, we get out of the truck. We say hi, and they kind of nod. You know, they 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 were comfortable, and. We walked down to the river because I had never been there, neither had my buddy, and there was a guy down there fishing on the gravel bar right in front of the ramp. There was a, a like a little pool, but on out about 20 feet, there's a gravel bar, and the gravel bar, bar at that time was exposed, and there was a guy fishing off the bottom there, and his girlfriend, wife, significant other was laying asleep on the gravel bar. Obviously, they had been there all night, and... <laughs> He had a little fire going, so we talked to him. Super nice guy, uh, just yeah. just really really nice. He's uh, he he was from around there, uh, around that area, and we talked for a little bit. But as I started walking back up, I uh, there was some more clientele come pulling in there, and I looked at my buddy, and I said, "Man, I just I, I don't feel like I need to be here." And he said, "No, always trust your gut." So we got in the truck and left. And we didn't go, I didn't go Uh back down there for three or four years, probably, uh, at least two or three years. I didn't go back down there, but the first time that I had met you, that's where we were. We had, we were pulling the boat out, I think, or putting it in, or something. And you were, you were coming up and had just finished fishing and, and, uh, and we were able to talk for a little bit. So I've probably known of you and talked with you off and on over Mm -hmm. maybe the past 10 years, something like that. Uh,
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Yeah. So, and, and. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast because I think that you give a little different perspective on, on flies in general, because you obviously you tie a lot, but your stuff is unique uh, and you have unique ways of thinking about things. If you, if you haven't followed Brandon on Instagram, uh, look for Panther branch bugs and you'll be able to find him. Take a look at his, uh at his his uh, page there, and just look at the different things that he ties. Now, some of those are things that I would never fish ever. Uh, that would would sit up here. That would sit up here on this shelf, and and we would, you know, I would never think of fishing them. I've got a fly that a friend of mine tied the other day, and he he wanted he wanted a fishing report from it, and I just had to tell him, dude, I haven't fished it because I don't want to lose it. I mean, it's just that good. And, and that's the type mm-hmm. of stuff that, that you have on your page. But also there's some basic things and basic fundamentals that I think that you've learned uh, and that you could pass that knowledge along to the folks that listen to this podcast. And this podcast has always been about these episodes, these interviews have always been about what can somebody learn from you to accelerate mm-hmm. that learning curve and help them catch fish. That's really what these have been all about. And we talked the other night and I kind of told you that, but, I think you've got a lot of things to offer and we're not going to be able to get to it all in one hour or however long this thing lasts so i i suggest you know looking at the patterns and and contacting brandon find out where his his bugs are you might buy some of those and take them and fish them and you, you learn stuff from each person's unique technique of of tying and, and brandon is one of those folks so now, Brandon, that we've talked about nymphs, and hopefully our trout anglers have loosened up a little bit, and there's now we're getting folks into the into the groove of eh, maybe I maybe I shouldn't pass over five creeks, you know, or five rivers to get to that tail water or that lake that I'm going to. Uh, and we talked about this earlier, but when you're in a place where the smallmouth are eating on top, and folks think about poppers when they think about on top, but it's not just poppers. So when you're you're when you're in the place where you're thinking smallmouth are eating on top or gonna eat on top top, and you're selecting a bug, one of the what are some of the things that you consider when you're tying up or selecting a
1: bug? Well, you know, the, again, I still approach smallmouth fishing like many people do trout. I like to observe whenever I get to whether it be new water or What I tell people is, you know, if you've been to a creek or river a hundred times, you can learn a hundred different things. There's always something new. It's always changing. I typically, the way I approach it is I'll get to say a creek that I've probably fished before, but it's, you know, here it is July now. Well, I know there's cicadas out. I've been hearing them for the past couple of weeks. So I know they're around, so I could right off the bat, I'm thinking, okay, I could throw a cicada, but also there's frogs, there's dragonflies. So I still approach it like a trout angler would, matching the hatch, but I'm more or less matching what's in their environment. And even if it is a popper, I might tie one on that resembles a minnow. And the reason I do this is, again, I said earlier, I love stream smallmouth and the water is normally clear you can sight fish to them 90 percent of the time and that that's their home they know what comes in and out of the water they know what flies over them so there's a lot especially right now we've got low water lower than normal even with the rain we've been getting and you've got to take a you're almost hunting the fish instead of just wading out there and starting to cast, you know, a popper you pulled out of the box. I typically, and even on bigger rivers, I approach it the same way. My thinking is, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to sort of match the hatch what's going on in their environment. So, and, and I love deer hair bugs. You know, I love tying with deer hair. It's, to me, there's a time and place for hard body or foam poppers. I just, to me personally, deer hair, not only is it sort of traditional, it's a nostalgia thing for me, but in my opinion, deer hair lands softer. It makes a distinct noise even if it is a popper compared to a hard foam popper there's a distinct difference in the sound uh and also this is just me in my mind this is what i think is i've had a lot of small mouth come up and eat a hard body popper and I, they end up getting off I think with deer hair, well, I know so. It has a give, you know. The hair has a give to it, and in my mind, I'm thinking not only does it have a give, I think it feels more real, like the real deal to them, you know. And it's more of a confidence thing um, when they do eat it, for me and for the fish, because when they bite down, it's it's got a give to it. It feel it feels alive, whether it be a frog pattern or mouse uh, dive or pop or whatever so i like the deer hair stuff now i will say i do especially in low and clear water i do use foam bugs if you've seen the mr wiggly fly i don't know if you've seen that it's a it was developed by some of the guys out west or at, actually up north in wisconsin Uh, Tim and the guys at uh, Lines Fly Shop. Over the years, they developed this, they call it a Mr. Wiggly style fly. What it is, it's a foam, just like a big Chernobyl almost, but they have added longer rubber legs up to the front. And uh, over the years, it's morphed into several different things. You can time them to represent dragonflies, mayflies just a general attractor, but they did that. They came up with this because they had these times in the summer when it was low, clear water and they would have these passive, big, passive feeding smallmouth that would come up and they would sit behind a boulder or sit up on a flat and they would see them. And if you threw a big popper out there, even if you threw it, 15 feet ahead of them, they would watch those smallmouth just slowly sink down to the bottom. And it would, it would put them down, you know, as we say with trout. It would just put them down. Well, what they started doing was they tied these big. And I say big, uh, I think there's they're on like a number four Daiichi longer shank hook. I tie mine on a four or a six at times. But so they started using these wiggly style bugs, foam bugs, Super simple to tie, um, and again, you can vary the colors, but they would cast those out. they land softly, and time after time, they have watched smallmouth come up like a big, you know, trophy brown, and I've seen it happen. This is one of the coolest things, but I've seen so many smallmouth in low, clear water. I'll cast that bug out, let it sit, and what Tim and the guys have always said, they have a smallmouth book, and in the book they say, you don't twitch it, you don't pop it. Basically, you you will move the line just enough to make the rubber legs move. That's all you want to do. And the, those rubber legs represent wings in most cases. But time after time, I've seen smallmouth come up up underneath my foam bug, follow it backwards in the current while they inspect it and sip it just like a big brown would. And no more than you won't even see a dimple on the water. You'll just that that fly just disappears. You set the hook, and it's a 17, 18, my biggest one, I caught a 20, 20 and a half inch smallmouth on one of those foam bugs and it was sight fish and same deal, cast it out. And uh, we just had a big mayfly hatch. What well, was going on and I caught it at the perfect time because with those, with the big hex mayfly hatches, if you don't catch, catch it right when it happens, those smallmouth will gorge themselves. And within a day, they, they want to eat for two or three days. It's just, they get so full, but I timed it perfect. And I had seen this fish before and I had a tan colored Mr. Wiggly tied up and I cast it out, let it drift down. And I watched him rise up and just sort of nose it. you know, you'd see the fly move and it's finally, he just came up and ate 20 and a half inch smallmouth with landed.
0: landed. That's a <laughs> so nice fish uh, in anybody's yeah, book.
1: Oh yeah. And, and that's the thing is uh with those foam bugs, it's I refer to it as like the small smallmouth dry fly. It's just a, a big foam dry fly is what it is. So I, I do use those quite a bit.
0: I haven't used those. Uh, but I've I've got a there's actually a places you were talking that came to mind that was a it's a it's a corner to bend. Uh and in the middle of the bend on the left side, there's a pretty good creek that comes in there. But it's pushed up this big flat uh in between some big rocks. And you can see the the smallmouth laying out there. Oh yeah. Uh, and they're coming up and eating. They're not eating. There's it's it looks like sand mostly on the bottom. And they're not really mm-hmm. eating anything out there on the sand because I think I feel like I'd be able to see it, but they you can see them rise and eat and that sort of thing. And I've tried poppers and, and parachute atoms. I've tried a bunch of stuff. Um mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But you're right, a popper, man. Whenever a popper hits it, they ghost. They they go down, and then they just slither away to the closest mm-hmm. rock. So maybe Mister mm-hmm. Wiggly, something that would be,
1: yeah, that's definitely it, it's it's changed uh, a lot of people's approach to smallmouth fishing. I know the guys up in Michigan at Schultz Outfitters. That's like a whole summer program they put on. Is with the with the, they cut it's. A lot of them refer to it as finesse topwater fishing, smallmouth with the fly rod. And don't get me wrong, there there is a time and place for uh, deer hair poppers, Dahlberg divers. If, and again, if I'm in a creek, if the water's up or there's a little color to it, I'll fish those things, uh, you know, perfect. And, and they work great. It's just the majority of the time I'm having to watch my wake if I'm waiting. I'm having, you know, I'm having to hunt for the fish. So those those foam bugs definitely are a key component for me.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that that we do most of the fishing out of the boat, and I don't think that there are huge differences in trout and smallmouth as far as stalking the fish. I mean, you try to try to row with the oar, just the tips, and try not to move around, try not to bang around if you can help it and that sort of thing. When you come across rocks, kind of stop and let it sit and let things kind of kind of die down a little bit and let things get back in the groove. But I don't see too too much difference as far as how spooky they are between the trout on a tailwater and or on, on a freestone actually uh as well and the smallmouth. So just something else for those for those newer smallmouth anglers to keep in mind or folks that have been waiting for trout or, or floating for trout. Definitely something to keep in mind there. But I think when most anglers think big smallies and, and 20 and a half inches isn't anything to to shake a stick at, that's for sure. But most of the most of the sizable smallies people are thinking they are not on top. But uh, so as we start thinking through that and You know, fish that tend to hang out on where the food is and they're comfortable and that sort of thing. You don't always have to dredge the bottom, but if you decide to fish like the midsection of the water column, I know that that we've talked about nymphs and we've talked about the top, but just on the midsection of the water, let's take, you know, a foot below the bottom to a couple feet above the bottom. Let's call that sort of the midsection. What patterns do you think would be good good for you know a new smolly angler to get to start? What patterns would be good for that? And what do you think would be good ways to fish those?
1: Well, you know, in the mid-column, you're gonna see again, going back to what what's out there naturally in their environment, that's a ton of bait fish. There's anything from dusky side shiners to darters to the days we have you know black nose days here and what i typically do in in my personal box i have a row of just i love craft fur because craft fur moves really well in slack water it moves really well in fast water it also Bree, trust me, I love bucktail. I, I tie a lot of plowsers with bucktail. Typically, I save that stuff more for saltwater fishing um, or like striped bass. But with the craft fur, you're able to size down to match what's in the creek or in the river. So typically, you know, take, for instance, like a dusky side shiner. They're, you know, fully grown. They're maybe three inches. Well, that craft fur you can tie, you know, something pretty easy in that size range and you can tie it weightless. In other words, just tie the craft fur directly on the, I'll tie it in reverse on the hook mm-hmm. and reverse tie it back and use UV resin to hold it and keep it in shape. Uh, but also my, my clousers, if I want some weight, I'll, so I'll have a row of weightless say uh, black nose days and then or shiners and then the next row down i'll have a row of plowsers tied out of craft fur with say either small brass or even bead chain eyes so then i'm getting a little bit further down mm-hmm. and then if i want to go even further down i have another row of blousers tied with the craft fur with say medium uh, lead eyes, just to get down a little further. Whenever I was out uh, in the Ozarks, that's what we teach all of our, our clients is like, we come in and we teach top, middle and bottom flies. Like, here's where you start. And honestly, I've gone through the whole phase of time. And don't get me wrong. I still have, I have a box full of game changers and all kind of other, you know, articulated stuff I've had, but day in and day out, I just, I'm um, fishing clear water. I want to match what's in the water. Now you can do things. The The thing that I always tell people is you can add in, yeah, you're going to match what's in the water, say the black-nosed dace. And people's like, well, what's going to make a fish, what's going to make a smallmouth eat your dace imitation compared to the real thing? Well, I'll add in things like, Uh, I'll use red thread. I'll use some red flash to show maybe it represents an injury or maybe it just gets their attention a little bit differently than the natural. So I'll, I'll do small things like that, but I still try to keep my patterns uh, simple and my, and my feelings aren't hurt whenever I lose a, a Clouser compared to a game changer that took 45 minutes to tie. Uh, But, but you know, Craft fur minnows unweighted, Craft fur clousers, uh, murdich minnows, that's a, that's a classic smallmouth pattern. Even in clear water, that, that minnow imitation has a ton of flash. But again, if you've ever walked to, to a, the, a creek and been able to look down, you can see shiners turn on their side and you'll see that flash. Well, to me, it's you know the murdich minnow. You get a lot of that flash. And then there's, you know, there's other things, uh, just a simple zonker, you know, if if you're pretty new to fly tying or you don't want to spend much time at all tying, go to your stream and you see some minnows, and majority of bait fish are going to have a darker top and a lighter or almost transparent belly, well, find some dark brown rabbit or pine squirrel and... Then pearl braid for a belly. I mean, you can go super, super simple, and and catch fish with it. And and again, like I said, with the, the poppers, with the articulated stuff, there is a time and a place. Whenever, trust me, whenever there's a little bit of stain on the water, or you know, we've had a couple of flash floods uh last week. Yep. There's two different occasions I was able to get out in the evenings, and I threw, you know. Um, there's a, there's a game-changer variation they call the um, the woodsman. And it's basically, if you were to look at, at it and compare it to something in the conventional fishing world, it's almost like a, a creature bait. It could represent a lot of different things. It's still a game-changer, but on each shank, there's anywhere from three to eight rubber legs. So you've got just... You've got, uh, and they're tied with feathers, so you've got a feathered game changer with rubber legs, and I tie them on a jig hook, and I've done different things. I've put foam in the tail, so the tail rises up almost like a a Ned Rig would, conventional fishing. You can do several different things to trigger uh, stripes in in off-color water, and, you know, I took those out and used those and had great success, but day in and day out, I still try to match what's in the what's in the water and and i'll say as far as how do i fish these things whenever i approach new water i do three different retrieves or three different well yeah you could say retrieves first cast out um if there's any type of current at all i'll dead drift even i'll dead drift the closer if there's a little bit of current even if it's just going to roll it through the mid column or near the bottom and sort of tumble out first cast I dead drift and let it swing down okay second cast I make cast it out let it get down a little bit and I'll do what I call a twitch retrieve and I'll just sort of it's what Kelly Gallup uses you animate the fly with the rod and you're stripping it a little bit line nothing nothing super fast And if I don't get any reaction to that, then the last thing, and some days this is just the way it is, but some days a friend of mine in Michigan calls it, he calls it the burn cast out and you rip it back as fast as you can across the current. And I've had, I've had, even with top water, I've had days where they would, you know, you see a weight coming and they're, they want to kill whatever's trying to escape because they think something else is chasing down prey and they want to be, beat them there and get the meal so that's you know when i'm approaching new water that's the first that's my first three casts unless i get a reaction out of one then i'll repeat it but otherwise that's that's how i approach new water and the retrieve i use
0: wow okay so first one's dead rift, second one is Twitching the rod or pulling the rod while stripping the line at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you basically yeah, you just the fly want to animate
1: tip. the fly yeah, yeah with the exactly. rod tip.
0: yeah, and then the third one is rip it yeah okay. yeah yeah. So is there anything you do different on water clarity? Let's just let's talk about more more stained water because we've we've talked about the the more clear water. Is there anything you do different on mm-hmm. stained water uh, with those with those mid flies on
1: stained water? The first, well, first thing is I use, you know, again, you can use the clousers and stuff in stained water, but typically I'll tie on a fly, and it. Does, trust me, it does have to be five, six inches long. I just want to put on a fly that, one, uh, if I'm not using a sink tip, I want a fly that's going to punch down. You know, it's going to, because nine times out of ten, if you've got stained water, you've got current you know, there's some additional current. It's not usually there. So I want something that's going sort to of, sort of punch down and get in that mid-column. Second thing is I want a fly that is going to push water that they can detect easier. So a little bit bulkier pattern. Again, you can, you know, I, I've got a pattern um, that I use that's, rabbit zonker for the tail but then i use i'll add some rubber legs but then i use a big not a ton of laser dub but it's got a laser dub head and i'll add flexible uv resin to that to create almost like a, a dam and not only does you know that that water push you get they can pick up on but also that water is diverted around that big head and it comes back together and makes the tail wiggle. So you get a lot of movement out of that rabbit strip. So typically whenever I'm dealing with stained water, I I want something, and it's usually a darker fly too. I I just, some people use crazy off, you know, wild colors. I tend to just go darker, you know, sort of the, They'll say, if it's, you know, dark water, dark fly, or dark sky, dark fly, I go by that motto, and, and it seems to work pretty well. Um, so, yeah, so definitely something that they can pick up on as far as color, but also water push that they can detect with their lateral line, too.
0: Yeah, I try to get something with a little bigger face, a little bigger head to push a little more water. Out in front, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I if I can, if I if it's if I'm in that situation, so that that kind of lines up with my thinking as well. But it's interesting yeah. you have a, you've you've even thought as much about it as it's going to wiggle the tail more. And I've never really thought much about that, although it probably you know the flies that I'm using probably do that. But I haven't thought about yeah, that sure aspect of it. Yeah, I just I hadn't mm-hmm, given it. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought probably as much about the fly as you have. I tend to say this fly looks good. I'm going to fish it. I'm going to learn how to fish it. Yeah. And I think I started Yeah, there.
1: well, that's a, I was going to say that's, a, that's just me working at NASA too long is what that is. <laughs> that's my engineering <laughs> mindset. Oh. I start thinking about hydrodynamics and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, right, um, right. Uh, totally. One other thing I'll add, not only with water push, but if I didn't mention or I mentioned sink tip, but if you decide to use a sink tip line in stained water and in clear water too, a streamer, uh, and I use one that de- was developed up in Michigan. I use the what they call the finesse size, but it's, have you seen the Swing and D Mike Schultz came up with? Yeah. has got the Dahlberg foam head. That fly, the finesse size, it's a single hook, but uh, got an articulated uh, shank out the back. Yeah. Uh, that fits well in most waters around here. It's regular Swing and D probably pushing... Five, six inches the finesse is more three to four inch um but if you do have stained water even clear water at times and you that foam head and using like an intermediate line the thing that can really get by someday is that sort of you can strip and when you pause that fly just sort of hovers or it'll kick and then hover almost like a fish that's that's dying you know it'll Right. twitch, and then just hang. There's a hang time there. And that, some days, you just can't beat on on a, you know, if you do carry a, a sink tip or an intermediate line, something that has a buoyant head. It can even be a deer hair head. Something that hangs uh, after you've stopped your retrieve and can be deadly on smallmouth.
0: Yeah, I do that with... And everybody knows I like to fish a zoo cooker, and I'll, I'll do that with that, and it just stop yeah. and then it'll just start, you know, twitching and floating up, which is similar Switching to what you're talking about. Up. Uh-huh. Yeah. similar to what you're talking about. It's yeah. probably you know, yeah. it's not a dead stop, but my thought process on streamers in general is just hey, let's let's take two or three or four patterns and let's learn how to fish them different way on different different ways on different types of lines. So that when the when the opportunity comes for me to get in a situation that I that I can fish that streamer really well, that's what I want to be able to do. Is I want to be able to fish it well to match the match the food source like you about, talked about. And I really started focusing even more about that on this uh, during this year on trout and on smallmouth. So I think when you decide to move your your fishing towards streamers. Why do you go that way? What's the primary thought process behind your streamer selection?
1: Well, I mean, for me personally, it's, uh, again, I'm going to just approach this as, say, new water I'm going to. To me, you know, you can have off days with top water, or you can just, I've talked to you before, there's um, a creek that I fish that for Twenty years, I've never caught a smallmouth on top water. It just—it's, I think, it has to do with the current. I'm, trust me, I know there's a time and place when uh, they're blitzing and pushing bait fish up against the, the bank, and you could catch them on a top water minnow. But if I'm going to new water and I'm just caught prospecting, a streamer is sort of that. Not only mid level in the water column, but it's it's easy to, you know, it's easy to fish them in an aspect, you know, that you know that they're eating bait fish at some point in time or some type of bait fish, whether it be a sculpin or a dace or even a little bluegill or long eared sunfish. So to me, it's more about it's a lot easier to prospect with uh, streamers because you can. And you can, like you were talking about, you can get different actions. I can take, a, say, a clouser and get a, depending on how it's tied, you can get more of a jigging action.
0: Uh-huh. I
1: can fish something that's weightless and it has more of that hang time, as we we're talking about. You can retrieve and then when it stops, it doesn't automatically jig as you're pulling it or anything. It sort of just hangs there. And then, like you're talking about with the zoo figure, you can fish buoyant stuff that rises or looks like something that's dying or on its last leg. So, to me, streamers, it's a lot easier to figure out what the fish want. And then from there, you know, you can say, okay, well, I know obviously they're eating minnows, but they're. I'm getting a lot of strikes when I'm using, say, or even like a a peanut envy. You know, it's like an articulated woolly bugger with a cone head. Whenever you jig those and say you're getting hits on those, okay, well, I'm going to stick with those instead of maybe, uh, say, like a drunken disorderly that's got a deer hair head and, you know, the wedge head. And two, it could be where they're hanging out in the water column. They might be hanging deeper. And if you've only got an intermediate line and some current, it's going to be a lot harder. To get down to where the fish might be hanging, with that deer hair head, you know, it's tightly packed, as opposed to something with a tungsten cone head or dumbbell eyes. So, to me, it's just it's all about prospecting. It's a lot easier to do with the with streamers.
0: Definitely can cover more water that way in a shorter Mm -hmm. length of time and see what see where they might be holding. What about? What about color? Does color matter to you all that much?
1: Yeah, I, I start out, I've always been told, and I can't remember who I heard it from or read about it, but years ago, I'd always heard to, you match the bottom, is what they would always say, match the bottom of the river. Now, it doesn't mean you're fishing the bottom of the river, but if you think about it, all all bait fish, all, all the fish... All the creatures in the water, um, they tend to match their surroundings, whether it be bait fish, crawfish, whatever. There's they're some form of olive, brown, tan. Granted, you know, there'll be some that have, you know, some red or orange on them. But for the majority of their body, they match the bottom, so they can blend in and escape predators. So that's the way I, I always start out with olives and tans things that match the bottom or the bait fish or the crustaceans whatever i'm trying to trying to match after that i go with the old saying you know if i'm not getting any strikes that way then i go complete opposite end of the spectrum and go to white that seems to be it well if it's sunny bright day bright fly i'm sure you you've Heard that and told people that a million times, but and then dark day or dark water, dark fly, like we were talking about a minute ago. So I I run through that process. So I start caught neutral right in the middle, greens, olives, pans, browns. If nothing's happening, then I go all the way to white. If the sun's out or it's clear water, and then nothing there. There's just some days they want dark flies, and I've. I've had that on clear water, even. It's, you know, there's no set rule. I think they just do their own thing. You know, they play by their own rules day to day. So, um, but that's my thought process whenever I, and, and as far as when do I switch? I mean, if I go to a section of water that I just know has, I see bait fish, I've seen crawfish, I, there's a ledge, there's a pool. There's no reason that a fish, there should be a fish in that hole and I get no response uh, after the cast that I mentioned earlier, the retrieves i talked about. Uh, I'll do, I'll run through those. If I get nothing, usually I, I'm pretty quick to change flies, so I'll go and start changing flies at that point. Now, some days, again, this isn't anything scientific, it's almost like well, what mood I'm in, but some days I change the fly pattern. Some days I change the fly color. It really just depends, you know, and it's really me just trying to figure out what's going on that day. It could be, like I said, something, something new every day with fish. So, um, but I'm pretty quick though, like I said, to, to switch if I don't get any response within the first say half dozen casts and me doing, you know, two dead drifts, two uh, twitch-type retrieves, you know, slower retrieves. And then if I'm just burning two back to me as fast as I can, if I don't get any flashes or anything, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and switch. Now, there are times where, and I'm sure you've seen this with trout, but I've noticed it with smallmouth, too, where I've had a smallmouth chase my fly back say I'm doing that slow twitch breathe and they chase it back but they never open their mouth they they just follow it you know it's then I start to feel like some of the musky guys you know that that have the follows (laughs) but no ease. Right. But but so if that happens I'm pretty quick to go ahead and change my fly because they're definitely interested but something it's either they thought they were just checking out, you know, they're just checking out what we're swimming by, but if I could throw something out there, say something that's sort of going to hang or turn a certain way on the paws and maybe it, and it shows its profile, and then it's like, oh, well, that's something injured. That's an easy meal. I'm going to eat it. So those things go through my head whenever I do have a fish just chase because it's like, well, they're interested, but I need to change something on my end, and then I'm pretty confident they'll, they'll eat the fly. And that seems to be the case most
0: of the time. I usually go by the old adage of, well, if it chases it out, go a little smaller. Try to stick with mm-hmm. the same profile. Mm-hmm. Try to stick with the same color if you've got it. But then go a little bit smaller a little bit smaller. Yep. And hopefully you don't beat the water up too, too bad to where you can get something to happen. But mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: the same thing, I mean, you could go 10 sizes bigger and that would be the hot ticket. And I wouldn't know it, but... I try to go by that, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. It's Just yeah, kinda...
1: that's typically what is. I typically do. The same thing is I, I will go, I will go smaller, and like you said, try to stick with the same color because it's definitely something caught their eye. Bro.
0: Yeah, right. They're interested, or they're mm-hmm. just running it out of there. You know, like a, a bluegill. A lot of times that they'll, like I've seen them pick up a pick up a bait. You know, just and move it off the bed before just to get it out of there mm-hmm. and i think that smallmouth yeah. and largemouth, or whatever warm water and trout will do the same thing try to run it off especially bigger trout will try to run it off and
1: yeah territorial
0: yeah mm-hmm. right and i you know i don't want to have to eat you maybe i ate last night you know and i don't want to have to eat you <laughs> uh-huh. but i will i just don't want to have to, yeah, so I will. I want to, try to try to get try to get you out of there but
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i've been
0: really kind of working with some crawfish imitations lately too. I don't know why. I think I get on these little kicks of okay, I want to try this and then really kind of focus in on it. But I've been doing crawfish imitations, some with some some rattles in them trying to do some of that. But we were talking about you were talking about color. You you, tu- you touched on that just for a minute, but uh, I was reading reading about crawfish molting or whatever they call it and you know where they're they're orange and I went all the way orange the way an orange bug one day you know a crawfish uh-huh. pattern like it's a different a little bit different than a crawfish pattern but it, the, the fish completely turned off of it and then i went back to brown with a little tuft of orange on it and they picked back up so i went yeah. back to back to that orange again and you know i was kind of i was really trying to follow the food chain that was available to them like we talked about before uh, and I landed on like a, a, a lighter Brown with a little, just, I mean, just a touch of orange, almost like an orange uh-huh. Gatorade color. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, you can get into these things and kind of get out on your own, in your own little world and your own mind and start trying different things. And I think that's part of what makes fishing, what it is a lot of times is I can sit at the vice or I can sit and read things and that sort of thing. And you know, start start getting myself into a part of into a philosophy, if you will, of hypothesis that you wanna prove out. Uh, and sometimes yeah. it goes <laughs> right and wrong. And you can get way off in left field, but sometimes you'll hit on something that may not work right away, but a year down the road you might, you know, it may something clicks and you're like, Oh, I need to go back and try this, but
1: Yeah, it falls I, into place.
0: Yeah. And I think we all we all have these different things that we get on. But I guess that, that, that's kind of where I am right now today uh, at 825 in the evening central standard time. Uh, as we're recording this thing, I'm starting to play a little more on the crawfish side with different colors in the different rivers. And you can't always, you know, crawfish are in, in every river almost in the south, it feels like. But I'll be darned, if you want to find one, they are impossible to find. If you're not looking for them, it feels oh, like you can yeah, you can turn over every rock in the river and they're not going to show up. But you know, if you're not looking for yeah. them, heck, you're liable to step on ten of them. So
1: step on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but
0: but that's where I am. But so I want to I want to close out with this question. We close this. We close out the podcast with this question. And a lot of times, it, we offer up this question and get some really good information back on it. But what's the one question we didn't ask about developing flies and creating flies and fishing smallmouth flies that we should have asked?
1: It's really funny. I didn't know you were going to talk about crawfish, and <laughs> so that's that's a good uh, that's a good segue into um. This is something that I learned uh, how to fish a crawfish properly, or, or I don't want to say I shouldn't say properly. The way that I've learned over the past just two years to fish a crawfish properly, and I call it, and I learned this from guys up in the Ozarks and a friend of mine, Dwayne Hayda has been doing this for years and it is absolutely deadly. He, he has a crawfish pattern that I think Umqua is who has, uh, who ties it now, but it's the Hayda Creek Crawler. I'm sure you've seen it. It's been out for years and years. Dwayne's approach to fishing, he fishes crawfish more than any other fly. That we've talked about or, or mentioned, but and it took me a. I, he told me, he said you're going to be frustrated fishing this way. I said, but I'm promising you, once you connect on your first smallmouth, I said you're going to be. It's going to be a new way to fish for them, and he he used to lead the or at one point in time he led the U.S. fly fishing team overseas. Um, this has probably been, I don't know, I hate to speak for Dwayne, but I think probably 15, maybe even 20 years ago, he took them over there. And he, you know, those guys, majority of the fly fishing teams, they're doing a lot of net fishing, Or that's basically all they're doing is net fishing, uh, euro, euro net fishing, you would call it. Well, Dwayne brought a lot of that back. Well, he might have been doing it beforehand, but he... That's what he does with crawfish, and that's what he taught me and other guys that helps out with these schools. And, you know, there I'll say here at home, I don't go this extreme just because of the waters I fish, I don't have to, but there are times where he's fishing a 10 to 12-foot long leader with a weighted crawfish on the end, but what he does is he uses a short – leader butt section so say three foot of 20 pound and from there there's no taper he ties on eight pound test and that eight pound test might go for seven eight even nine feet and he and he has contact you know we were talking about thing when we started out this thing but He's contact or euro net thing with crawfish, but it's sitting on the bottom and when you learn how to uh, cast that rig, and it's and trust me, it's not a pretty cast at all <laughs> whenever you're getting this this thin line and this you know sh- short butt section a leader out, you're just sort of lobbing this crawfish, but it punches straight down and gets on the bottom. and when you get used to, fishing this way you can feel and this is what we taught this is the biggest lesson we teach in the smallmouth uh, schools we do you can feel that crawfish going over rocks you can feel it dropping down off a rock but then and it takes you a while but once you feel and a lot of times it helps if you can sight fish to a smallmouth and feel and see what that hiccup feels like the sensation you, it's it's a whole different ball game. It's uh it's something. It's like I said. It's so deadly because you're you're connected the whole time with that crawfish because of the weight of the crawfish, but also that thin that thinner you know eight pound test. I've gone up to ten pound. used a little bit of feel, but anyway, when you're basically netting with that crawfish and you get the first eat or land your first one, it's a uh, it's something I do a lot, and again, I, I I'll say that in for years and years I didn't fish crawfish a lot because I just never. I mean, I had spotty luck with them. You know, I would catch fish here and there, and sometimes it would be when you know I'm stripping in. Sometimes it's when sitting there. But honestly, fishing this way, majority of the time. Um, and I've seen it I've been able to sight fish and see when that crawfish is sitting dead still and I give it I mean when I say a twitch I mean I'm moving that crawfish maybe a, a half inch I mean just barely moving it and I've seen time and time again when I could see the fish they'll nose right up to it and look at it and examine it and you twitch it just I mean just barely retrieve it and then they'll inhale it and it's like you if you didn't see the white of the mouth or the gills when it opened, you wouldn't even, you could feel the eat, but you would almost think like, oh, I wonder if that's a rock or if I'm a hung. But mm-hmm. once you can see that and then feel it at the same time, it's a very, very unique way to fish for me at least. Um, and again, it's become one of one of my favorite techniques. It's just, uh, and and you don't have to go super heavy. I mean, granted, you want to get on the bottom. But with that thinner diameter tippet section and, and it being longer, you're going to punch down and get on the, the stream bed pretty quick. Granted, there's not a lot of current. And it's, it's like I said, it's become a, a deadly tactic for me. It's one that I use basically every time I go out. And some days I even... if. If I can still sight fish, I'll use crawfish over top water just because it's that that deadly.
0: I've been doing that same thing, but I think if you go back and listen to our wisdom from the guys with Matt Riley and David Knapp, I think that's where I started using this technique of the downstream men with the indicator and then bouncing that crawfish along the bottom, similar to what you're talking about, which is... Deadly in itself, but are you using a traditional six weight for that or do you have a Euro set up all the way?
1: Well, I know I use I use a six weight, but there there's uh, there are some guys out there. And, and let me just say I I have sold some uh, Helgramites to uh, a gentleman, David Knapp knows and he, he lives up in Tennessee, but this gentleman he does uh, trout uh, competition, uh, fly fishing. Um, and he has sort of taken the same tactic on his own. I didn't even mention it. Actually, when he when I tied the Helgermites one, he said, this is what I'm doing with them. And it was exactly what we're just sitting here talking about. He said, it's deadly. and he Now, he is u- using a Euro rod setup. Now, I think he bumps it up to four, maybe even a five weight but he's still using the longer length Euro rod. Um, and, you know, I'm, I've never cast one. I, I think the tips are a little more sensitive, maybe. But, um, but he, so he was using Helgramites and doing the exact same thing. Again, I'm, I'm still using my six weight as like a, a do-all rod. And, and to be honest, anybody that knows me, I actually don't even own any graphite rods. All my rods are fiberglass. I'm just I love I love fiberglass and it's mostly modern fiberglass which can be you know the six weight I use is uh it's a fast fiberglass six weight so it's I mean the guy that makes them they actually use them in salt water for different things so it's a it's a faster six weight uh, but it doesn't have the length that the Euro rods do and I have no trouble that's what uh my friend Dwayne in the, the Ozarks. He, he uses a, a shorter rod too, and he said, well, he said, it's, he said, I just caught contact that thing at a distance because he'll still cast out. You know, say there's a run he wants to get to, he'll still cast out, and for the most part, his line is off the water. If, if any, it's a small amount, but you're but still that crawfish or that helgramite is punched down, and it's sitting on the bottom where you can feel it as it tumbles and, and goes along. It's down
0: there hunting up a fish, isn't it?
1: No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and you know, that's the thing I don't think a lot of people um think about that when it comes to the smallmouth, but it, like I said, it's a uh, not to give out all the secrets, but it's pretty pretty deadly uh tactic for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I've got I've got a couple of euro rods down in the garage that haven't been out in a while. I'm gonna take them to Colorado with me, I think. Because I'm not gonna where we're going, there going theres it really a place to float. Uh so if I do fish, that that'll be probably what I do. But if I bring them back, I've got some some especially some some uh Pat's rubber legs that I can try in different colors, like we were talking about the other night. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And in a couple of couple of crawfish patterns at different that I fish at different levels in the water column. And I think that'll mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. uh that may be my next thing is to go park somewhere and sit in the boat and try that
1: yeah, and a run that. or
0: something. Yeah. And those runs that you just know, I mean, and I know you have them too, that you just know there's got to be something down there that's worth catching. You know, what if exactly. you just get down to just it. Just get you know, down to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, uh, that's a good way to do it. And so i cut a float float time a little bit, maybe buzz through some spots and get to a couple of good runs like that. Try, uh, try that out. And I'll give you a fishing report on that and let you know how it goes. So, yeah.
1: I'd like to hear about it.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad I could set you up for that last, <laughs> for that last question. I was going on color. Yeah. It was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. I don't know how, how we did that, but we did. We didn't talk about that at all for you folks out there listening. No. So well, what do you say we go ahead and close this thing out?
1: Sounds good, man. I've enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. It's been good. So if you, uh, Listen to the podcast, share it with your friends and your fishing partners. Uh, follow us so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. And if you find value in the in this episode and want to support the work we do on these episodes, we'd appreciate you dropping by the Southeastern South Fly Store at southeasternfly.com and just make a purchase of, a, of a, a hat or a T-shirt. Who was our guest today? He's a well-known He's well known as an elite fly tire. He enjoys and fishes all, for smallmouth all over the world. Or all over the southeast and a little bit out west too. It sounds like out in the around the Ozarks. He works with Jay Stockard, ties on Arax hooks, keeps his resin simple with Raid zap. Doctor Slip Slick takes care of his of his tools, and he ties on HMH vices. He is the owner of Panther Branch Bugs, which you can find on Instagram. Got some really cool stuff on there on his grid. He's from North Alabama, Brandon. Really appreciate you stopping by and sharing this information with us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been an honor.
0: Yeah, thank you. You just listened to Brandon Bales at Panther Branch Bugs on Southeastern Fly. See you next time.